Hello, and welcome to this week's Key Voices, Conversations with Folk in and Around Education. I'm Caroline Doherty, and this week I'm talking to Dr. Victoria Carr, head teacher at Woodlands Primary School. Victoria and I talk about her school's improvement journey, her very interesting career to date, and how she balances academic study alongside a demanding role as school leader. We also talk a little bit about being a parent during the pandemic and how she balances school leadership and um, supporting her own children. She, she also shares very candidly exactly how hard it has been at times over the past um, year or so for her children. We also talk about social media, uh, how much to share, what can happen um, when, when things go a little bit awry, uh, but also how positive and what a great tool it can be for collaboration when done right. And as ever, I'd just like to remind listeners that this podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around topics. The views my guests and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. Hello, today I'm joined by Dr. Victoria Carr, who is head teacher at Woodlands Primary School. Hi, Victoria, how are you? I'm fine, thanks, Caroline. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's great to talk to you. And um, I'd just like to begin by um, giving you the opportunity to tell to tell our listeners a bit about your school and you, your own career um, to date. Well, my school is one of the biggest schools in Cheshire West, in Chester. Um, it's had quite a challenging journey for the, fa- the little for the sort of the past five or six years. And um, I'm really privileged to work there because it's given me a chance to put into practice an awful lot of things that I've learned throughout sort of 25 year long teaching career. All come really handily into the fore in this current school. So it's a brilliant place to work. I absolutely love it. And um, I feel like I found my forever home. Oh. And, and can you tell us um, maybe a little bit about the sort of development and, and improvement that's been going on there? Yeah, so um, sadly, for, for reasons that I won't go into, um, prior to me getting there, the school had had two interim head teachers for two successive years. And before that, um, the previous substantive head teacher um, hadn't been in school for a little while. And unfortunately, as you're your listeners will probably know as you probably know as a school governor without sort of consistent leadership and um, with all the issues that it brings if you don't have that it can really have a a detrimental impact on all aspects of a school from finances to standards to morale um, to teacher well-being to people parent school relationships and and sadly all of those things were evident when I got there and um previously to doing this job I was a head teacher at a school up the road Um, again another challenging school but a nevertheless brilliant one and I was there for six years and I used to have quite a difficult relationship really a love-hate relationship with the director of education as he was then and um, I think I just became a thorn in his side I kept pestering him for things and was quite um, you know (laughs) quite aggressive at times um, on behalf of my school and so on and but you know in the end we, we ended up having a great relationship and I, I worked for him as something called an associate school improvement advisor and I know all different local authorities have different names for these things but essentially it's just somebody who goes in and works alongside head teacher colleagues and sort of um, checks in on them do they need any help uh, you know what sort of access to help can they get from the local authority, et cetera. And so he, you know, he was, he was great. And on the back of that, um, I was kind of invited to, to do this job of a, um, executive head over my old school and this school. And um, he kind of thought that all the skills and the tenacity, and <laughs> he used to say it was like a dog with a bone for me, all of that kind of skill set that he'd see me um, develop and and demonstrate in my previous school he thought be really good in this school because the school could you know could have been and was before quite brilliant school but just through a leadership journey um, challenge really it's it slipped and had um, you know poor academic standards and 
the finances needed a bit of work and so on. And, and so he asked me, you know, he was happy for me to do it. So, and I was delighted to do it. And then I became the substantive head um, at some point after that. So it had requires improvement judgment um, very early on when the previous substantive head um, wasn't in work. And then, as I say, two quite challenging years. And then I knew with the year I took over that I would definitely get an inspection because um, that was the cycle that would be within two years. Um, so I already knew that the two years since the last inspection were probably nearer to special measures than they were requires improvement. So we did have an uphill struggle for a couple of terms, but actually just by loving the place back to life, um, we did really well. We did really well at the end of the second term. And um, we've built on that really since then. And the pandemic obviously has hindered us being able to, to do any kind of real proving of that in terms of standards or whatever, you know, however you, whichever metric you might want to use. But we did have another inspection, a monitoring visit, um, albeit virtual, just before the February half term which was extremely successful indeed. So if nothing else, it was a really good rehearsal for some of the newer staff who may not have had an inspection. And it was a great opportunity for the leadership team, some of whom are quite new to it, to sort of work together and demonstrate how they how, how we do things. So yeah, so, so that's been the journey really, um, as I'm sure you can imagine just from me saying that, um, the, the vast array of skills that we've had to implement um to to help people through some of those difficult situations it has been it's been invaluable yeah it's interesting that you that you really highlight there the the consistency being being key to that and and also really uh liked the way the phrase you used about loving the school back to life um and recognizing that after a bit of a bit of turbulence that actually that that can play a really um you know as almost as important a role as some of the other things um that you do giving giving the school community that kind of confidence um to to improve as as well and you um you referred earlier to your kind of 25 years in in education um and you you've had a really um fascinating career and 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 lots of other strings to your to your bow kind of in and around um teaching i'd love it if you could tell the listeners a bit more about that i think i'm one of those people who is just genuinely very lucky um and opportunities have presented themselves to me throughout my life that I've taken advantage of. And I've really never looked back from that. So um, when I was first applying for a job, um, I was looking to go and live in Newcastle upon Tyne. And um, I applied for hundreds of jobs really, as you do when you're newly qualified and you don't really know what you're looking for or what you want. You don't really have any kind of understanding of school culture you just want a job because you've been a student you're broke you want to put all this learning into practice and I was so lucky that I didn't get any of the other jobs that I applied for and I got the job that was meant for me because I ended up working in a middle school for the most amazing head teacher but he was the most inspirational man and um, I worked for him for about 18 months and and the local authority that I worked under decided in their wisdom that they would sell the land that the school was built upon for housing because it was far more lucrative than just having this amazing school on it. Uh, and despite the fact that the head had been really innovative and creative with finances and, and generating money and income in a little bit the same way as this kind of famous head teacher is at the moment called Chris Dyson, he just, he went out to the community, he got good deals and he was just a brilliant man. And whilst working there and, and on the back of the fact that um, the local authority were selling the school off and, and all the teachers would have to be redeployed and re-employed at different local authority schools, I decided to move abroad with my then partner. Um, he was an expatriate. His family lived in Kenya and he was going back there to live and, and work on a farm. So I bit the bullet and went with him and what I quickly learned was in this kind of far out place nearby to um, Mount Kenya in the foothills of Mount Kenya, a place called Nanyuki, was that there were no no schools. Um, and so young children had to travel quite a distance over three hours um, and go and stay in a boarding school in order to be educated. So, of course, I was a, a sort of 
a person that was there able to sort of set up a school so uh, with all my newly qualified um, enthusiasm and no experience whatsoever I set up a school for wow. children uh, of expats um, which was called Podo Preparatory School because there was a big Podo tree in the in the grounds and um, some of the parents um, bought the either leased it or bought it, bought the house it was a huge old uh, wonderful colonial house actually and we used it as a schoolhouse and we had children from about 18 months up to about nine years and it was wonderful it was absolutely wonderful and we had um local staff and some english trained staff and so on and it was just amazing i i absolutely loved it it was such a simple stripped back lifestyle um you know and so enjoyable and again using all the local resources and at that time also worked with a chap to kind of get involved in setting up a non-profit making organization that brought out students from Newcastle University to work um, and do sort of community-based projects there so that was that was pretty cool as well and then sadly my sister got cancer and um, kind of sadly at the time was given a, a fairly horrendous uh, prognosis so I flew home and looked after her for a few months and whilst at home I was offered a job by the lady who was my head of year in Newcastle who had since become through kind of a rapid promotional series I'm a head teacher in Northumberland so I went there uh, in one of her promoted positions and um, I've, and again I've never really looked back so I was then in Northumberland as a key stage three English lead despite never having had an English qualification apart from my A-levels. Um, it was just something that I, I suppose, showed a propensity for and it, it was quite adept at it. So, and then I did leading English teacher, which was a thing back then across Northumberland. So I got to work in loads of great, great schools, which was wonderful. I'm so nosy. I just went, went around different schools, learning and picking things up and networking, just making some wonderful acquaintances. And then I got married and, um, my ex-husband decided that he wanted to join the army quite late on actually he was at the very very back end of, of the age limit for joining up and we moved to Germany and again after having a couple of children I uh, worked in another middle school again leading English and stayed there until both my children were sort of four and five at which point we moved back to the UK and I became a deputy head in a church school uh, again a very very affluent uh, area you know interesting all these schools of course presented me with hugely different experiences working with different types of families different types of children different needs different abilities it was the most amazing journey and all the way along that journey I chose to do academic study as well to try to make myself the most knowledgeable person I could be and the most informed uh, with the most up-to-date research at my fingertips in order to be the best um, person for the job so I'd done my MPQH, um, I did a Christian leadership course, which was um, MPQH level course, because I didn't really know anything about a church school, to be honest with you. Um, I did a master's degree in equality and diversity. Um, and then I thought not, then was the time to sort of become a head teacher. So I did my first headship <laughs> in a school that had the highest number of um, Gypsy, Romani and Traveller children in our area. And that, again, presented itself with the most amazing learning experiences. And alongside that, I did a second master's degree. So a lot of the work I was doing at that point in terms of study was also related to my work. So I did a lot of papers around um, engagement with disenfranchised families and the vulnerable. I did some work on attachment disorder and trauma in children, um, you know, behavioral issues, literacy development, that kind of thing. And then I'd started to do a doctorate and I completed my doctorate in educational leadership. And then I decided to, as I say, move and, um, and become an executive head over two schools before then deciding to consolidate in this enormous school with all of these different tricky challenges to get to get around and yeah and I've just recently decided I'll do another master's having said I would never do any more study but this one is in military history nothing to do really with education and everything to do with leadership and um, and what endures through leadership so so yeah so that's been my educational journey and all I would say is I've never um, turned down an opportunity and it served me well and you couldn't say that my my kind of progress was linear because it wasn't I just sort of didn't 
stay in one place. I didn't stay in one school. I've been all around the place. And whilst I was in Germany, I taught army soldiers, um, you know, young people who had been failed by our English system and who had arrived at the army with very few qualifications. And, you know, it was my job to teach them English and maths GCSE equivalent. And it was one of the most rewarding parts of my entire career to date um, to be able to, you know, give these young people the skills and, and, the, and the sort of self-belief that they could actually achieve given what they'd experienced in their schools and, and you know, perhaps even some of them their home lives before that. It was really was the most rewarding part of my career to date. So, so yeah, varied and interesting. <laughs> wow, as you say, a really rich variety of um, experiences, knowledge and, and skills to draw on there. And so, so inspiring to see how, how much you prize learning, learning yourself. And I imagine that that has been, um, you know, infectious across the, the school communities that you that you've worked with as well. And I'm, you know, I'm have the utmost respect for anyone who can manage to um, um, do their own ac- academic work as well as lo- alongside a, a day job. You also um, uh, are an army reservist uh, uh, as well. Um, and given what we know about how, um, all, you know, all encompassing the role as a school leader can be, how how have you managed to balance um, these these activities so successfully? Well, I'm not going to lie. I mean, it takes um, a commitment to them. So I, I, and something has to give, you can't do all things that you would like to do. So I hardly ever watch the TV. I just don't have time for TV. And so I suppose if I was to prioritize kind of the TV as a, as a, a hobby or a downtime, then I definitely wouldn't have time for anything else in my life. I compartmentalize as well. So I will give myself um, certain um, times when I say, you know, this weekend I'm focusing on that. This weekend I'm focusing on that. Tonight is all about this. And so I, I just plan. I use my diary as my my Bible. Um, everything is planned into my diary because obviously I'm a, a mum as well, a single mum. And I also do part time lecturing. Um, I have done for many years now on the Masters in Education program. Firstly at Chester Uni, then at Hope. Um, and I love all aspects of what I do. So therefore I think I'm happy to kind of sacrifice the TV or, and I wouldn't say I have much of a kind of social life in the traditional sense. So I don't particularly, I don't go to the pub or kind of go out. And I suppose that's the benefit of being a single person. There isn't really another adult human who I have to invest my time in, but I kind of, I feel like that's a choice at the moment. So everything I do is based on choice for me. And I'm really happy that my day job is so all-consuming at times that I I feel like there are times when I could potentially reach burnout with it, but I'm very careful that that doesn't happen. And one of the ways that I make sure is by having these completely, completely different things that I do with my time. And and the army training itself involves, uh, you know, the physical side of everything and the practical and also the collaboration that, that and it is completely different from my day job so it just means the conversations I have um you know what I'm the parts of my body that I'm using in my work in my day job it's all brain I'm always problem solving always looking to the next problem horizon scanning for issues that may crop up um looking out for my staff being observant and vigilant about changes in mood and tone so that I can be one step ahead of anyone else who might be struggling so all of the kind of responsibility for that, I don't have that with my army, um, with my army stuff. It, and it's all about training and, um, you know, your mind being busy with other things that completely take you away from that narrative of accountability and pressure and, and, and so on. And I absolutely love it. And, and you know, it's, it's funny, but one of my governors um, herself, who recently completed a doctorate, actually, um, sent me an article about burnout and she said I I see now why this is so important to you and beforehand I hadn't really known or had the language or understood or was able to articulate what it was about those other activities that gave me the breathing space the mental breathing space but when I read that article I thought absolutely absolutely that this is what stops me um, completely being consumed 
by my day job and it's a day job that I absolutely love and I want to do really well and I think my governors are astute enough and informed and forward-thinking enough to know that to nurture me and to kind of give me the time because of course you don't switch off as a head teacher contrary to popular belief at three o'clock you don't wander out with your bag on your shoulder and say you know see you tomorrow um particularly during the pandemic I think it's hopefully will have been evident to most sentient people in our country that um teachers work does not stop at three o'clock and I think my governors know that the evenings the weekends the holidays that I completely involve myself in school work are more than paid back when I take a weekend or two days or whatever to go off and do some army training, which again is beneficial, you know, socially beneficial to our country. Um, so yeah, I'm very, very blessed and lucky that I'm supported in all of my endeavors. And they also see the benefits it draws to our school. You know, the, the people I've come across in, in both my leadership work and my army work that come to our school and enrich and enhance the lives of our staff and our children. Um, I wouldn't have had those connections had I not been outward facing and, and, and forward thinking myself. So I think they really do see it as a bonus as opposed to something that hinders my ability um, to do my job, which is which is wonderful, really. And I think, um, you know, we, we talk about well-being quite a lot on the podcast, but, you know, the, you know, the crucial point is that it is about, is it about choice and people feeling like they have an option and some people will always want to work more, um, push further, test themselves in different ways, you know, engage in, um, you know, significant study or, or hobbies or other, or other things. And, and the point is about having, having the option for them to do that. And some people who, you know, want to use their, their downtime differently, again, that they, that they have the choice and it's not a competition um, and it's not about comparing, um, uh, you know, and, and, and interesting to think about, you know, agency and autonomy, again, is, is a central way in which people feel like they're actually, you know, achieving, achieving in their jobs um, as, as well. So, um, that, like you say, that it's, it's really encouraging to hear that you, you know, your, your board understand you as an individual. And, and that's really the point that we need to get to, um, where people um, feel feel that they can they can be themselves and negotiate a working environment that you know enthuses and in, inspires them um but you, you did um you did obviously mention earlier that you that you're a parent yourself as well um and um particularly thinking about the the pandemic i know your your, your children are are in their teens um what what has it been like juggling leadership of a school um and supporting your own children to be honest with you it has at times been quite a struggle because um some again somebody mentioned to me that a happy child you're only as happy as your unhappiest child like, I'd never heard of that expression before but during the pandemic I would say that's 100% right my my eldest child my son Tom he uh, should have done his GCSEs last year he is um, severely dyslexic and has absolutely detested school his whole life, which for me is so painful, you know, as a, as a passionate educational professional, as a lifelong learner, as someone who just loves to read, for my son to hate it and for it to be like pulling his teeth out is, is really painful. So he was always um, quite keen and committed to join the army. And he was always determined, absolutely determined that he would join when he was 16 and a half, he would go to the army college in Harrogate which is exactly what he has done. Um, but unfortunately, he didn't get to sit his GCSEs at all. Um, and because he kind of messed around a little bit on the journey, I, I don't think they saw the best of him when they came to do the teacher assessments, even though that last year he really had knuckled down and he, he was quite committed to doing the best he could. It was too late, which, you know, is, is 50, 60, 70, 80% his own fault. But nevertheless, I think indicative of quite a lot of students, you know, people I've seen it advertised on Twitter and LinkedIn where people have said, oh, my child did nothing for their mocks and it's a, quite a wake up call. And now they're full on working. I suppose it's just part of our exam system that that's a, a thing that perhaps some students do. So he learned a hard lesson that way. But he went to the college and he has had a really um, tough time because of the pandemic. Um, but his options now are fairly limited, I think, as to whether he joins the army or doesn't, because he hasn't got the, the GCSEs, they're kind of, 
you know, he doesn't feel confident with those qualifications and he's not really confident about what he wants to do <clears throat> moving forward. So I think that's been a tricky time to navigate for him because he hasn't had the experience he had expected at the college through no fault of theirs. They've done, again, really, really amazingly well, like all schools and, and educational establishments have. But nevertheless, their ability to provide the kind of quality that they would ordinarily do has been severely curtailed by the pandemic. So he continues to present me with the kind of anguish that any parent would feel at this time when their child is fledging into the world, but not quite sure what they're going to do. Um, my daughter is the complete opposite academically. She uh, goes to a selective grammar school, the same one that I went to, incidentally, and, um, you know, was absolutely bereft in January, completely devastated because she's due to sit her GCSEs now. There isn't quite a year between my children. So unfortunately for them, they've both been affected by the pandemic, which is a bit rubbish. But my daughter has, has been so anxious about the whole thing that, um, you know, she, she has been quite, she's an overachiever. She's, you know, wants to do her best. She, you know, the whole world ended in January when it was there'd be no exams. Everyone's taking time off school, you know, I had quotes like, my whole life is over. How will I ever do well now? That's it. <laughs> so I had to kind of coach her through the reality, which is that that's not the case at all. It's um, quite difficult for you as a parent to have two children at such different points approaching that exam threshold and really interesting what you say there that kind of um you know the, the children for whom those mocks are a kick up the bum and then they they do go the distance and pull it out of the bag on the day versus mm -hmm. those children who are you know building up to that that exam from a much earlier point mm -hmm. um but you and different know. expectations in schools I think I mean you know as I say my daughter goes to a very high achieving selective school it's actually been in the press recently um about school uniform um so it's the same school I went to. I understand the academic pressures that are on them to, to do well. And, you know, her entire world kind of collapsed in January. She was panicking, saying, how will I ever do well now? I'll never get a good job. What am I going to do? And I had to have a real um, period of time where I was coaching her through the fact that these are only exams. And imagine if you had broken your leg and couldn't attend school. Imagine if, and you know, there are lots of reasons why students wouldn't necessarily be able to do their GCSEs and still manage to do perfectly well without them. So, but I think the pressure that they all feel in her school meant that she just couldn't, she couldn't think it through at the time. And she just, you know, she hit a bit of a black wall really for a couple of months there. And of course I was at work, Tom was away, uh, you know, at college. And I was in work every day and she was just really, really struggling being alone all day in the house um, and just worrying and overthinking about everything to do with education. So I don't think it's been helpful. And, and you know, at work with my colleagues, they've got children of various ages. You know, one's just her daughter finished a, a degree last year and can't get a job and has been at home and again, suffering. And I think no matter the age of our young people, inevitably, they've all been uh, affected in some way or the other by this whole situation. I mean, even adults have been dramatically affected by it. And I think focusing on things like, I know it's a buzzword at the moment, but I really do believe in it, like mental health and understanding transitions and um, you know, kind of encouraging children to come back to school and recognizing the work they have done rather than the rhetoric that's in the press about lost generations and, you know, all of that. I, I really don't think that's been helpful at all because so many young people have shown a range of skills, um, you know, and also social conscience that they may not have had the opportunity to show had they just been in normal school, you know, in any normal given year. I think it's quite sad, actually, that people are prepared to, to look at this in a kind of reductionist way rather than a celebratory way, which might help people to reframe the experience of the last 12 months if they could just have a different point of reference, which is that they've learned an awful lot of things that they wouldn't ordinarily have learned. OK, they may not be things that could be tested necessarily in SATs, or, but then again, that, I suppose that brings this kind of contested accountability thing right into the frame where we think what value do they actually have because we haven't done them for a couple of years so therefore do we need to just stop that now and start to rethink this whole thing <laughs> I don't know so it's a bigger picture I think
Yeah, I um, you know, we've we've also had kind of conversations on the podcast about kind of flexible working and um, you know, kind of balancing um the the need to be in school um pretty much all the time if you're a teacher versus wanting to support your your own child's um education um and and the fact that you know scheduling just doesn't really allow you to do that in the same way that it maybe does if you work in a a, a different profession um and, and you you know mentioning that you know you ha- you had to be in school while while your daughter was doing her sort of remote learning um do you, do you do you think that there you know um would you like to see more op- more opportunities for people to work work differently um in in teaching to to allow them to, more time with their with their own young people yeah i mean certainly i think it's something that i've always advocated for which is um that your family is is should be your number one priority and you can work creatively around that um, I had to be in work because simply because I was the head and there was so much to go going on initially um, after a number of weeks the deputy head and I who also has a, a teenage child um, discussed the fact that our teenagers were really struggling because we have that kind of open dialogue in our school and also the fact that we really needed to adhere to the guidance which was people really needed to be in work as little uh, and traveling as little as they they should so we decided to take it in turns and she's a you know very adept at uh, at what she does so there was no no concern about leadership or anything like that in fact it was wonderful for her to be able to do it so we took turns in, in being in which was beneficial to us all i think but and it does really highlight the fact that that is possible and before that before the pandemic I, I, you know i would say to her or to to her predecessor I really need you to complete that piece of work. I need you to do it from home where there are no distractions because in school, you know, we have the door open. I said to you earlier about having the school dog and how my desk faces down the corridor. People always smiling at me. I smile out at them. That is the kind of school I want to be a part of. So if I'm in school and people drop in or they need a chat or some help or whatever, the door is literally and figuratively open for that to happen, which means that any piece of um, sort of, important work that needs to be done will be interrupted many times during the day Uh, on top of the fact that you get phone calls emails pinging through etc etc you can't guarantee that you will work uninterruptedly for a period of time whereas you can do that at home so even before the pandemic happened my senko would go home to work my, my, my deputies my assistant heads if they had a particular piece of work that they were doing they would be um instructed really to go home because there's a sense of guilt i think in lots of um particularly leadership staff who are able to work from home feel a huge sense of guilt if they're not seen as being in school it's kind of a perception thing perhaps it's a little bit like um people thinking that the head sits around and has coffee and checks the emails um i suppose there isn't a really an awareness of what the head does unless someone's actually been ahead or shadowed ahead or whatever i can assure you by the way listeners as well that um i don't sit around drinking coffee reading <laughs> emails all day. a little bit more to it than that but um I do think that there are times when working from home is extremely beneficial. And also it's about professional respect for me. So um, I don't presume to instruct my teachers what to do during their PPA time if they're working at home. They can go and pick up their child and do what they like, um, you know, as long as their work is done. If they want to do their work in the evening when their children are in bed or on a weekend when perhaps their partner takes their children out or if they don't have any children, they want to go for a run they do that and then they do their work I'm, I'm not about to instruct people on how because I know how I manage my time and you know if I was to come home to do my head teacher's report and you know have a headache or be distracted I might think I'll go for a run I'll clear my head and then I'll do the head teacher's report and if somebody was going to judge me negatively for doing that I would I would really be considering why that would be because it's better to approach anything with a clear head then if you're carrying baggage around with you that stops you from doing the best job you can do so and and my staff all know that I'm an advocate for them doing lifelong learning and training and if that involves them not being on school site for a day a week or whatever we make that work and that's something I've brought to the governors and again it's part of my vision and values so and it's seconded by our governors who, who agree again it's not just me who needs that kind of alternative way of challenging my brain or 
you know the staff deserve that too and, and now we're in a financial position to do it there'll also be the financial support for people to do it as well so it's important i think not just for recruitment and retention which obviously it does impact upon but also for general day-to-day -day mental health and um i want the happiest staff in front of those children that, that you could possibly get and part of that is looking out for what makes individuals happy and how they can work on their own happiness and development as well yeah as you say so so important there to have the the sort of finance in in place to support it um but um yeah does and you know i i can only imagine that um you know have people having had the experience of of having to do um, more more work from home or you know get themselves onto systems and things where that all of a sudden becomes a lot easier um, that, that does you know that's going to open up those those conversations even even further in the future. Um, now, when I was preparing um, for this this podcast, I watched your your wonderful and um, extremely moving um, TED talk, which I'm going to recommend to listeners in the notes from this podcast and um in it you talk about the power of, of words and um also some reflections on kind of you know kindness um and obviously we've seen a lot of um issues on social media really about about the you know choice of language and 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 people not being very um kind to each other um so just like to hear a little bit about you kind of your thoughts um about about social media and the 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 opportunities um uh, but also challenges it presents us with as a society i think it presents myriad opportunities i've been blown away really i set up my head teacher account uh, for woodlands to try and promote our school um the school as you as you rightly pointed out earlier had quite a, a negative reputation in our area you can imagine you know the, the changeover in leadership that the poor standards uh, and so on for a few years running just really meant that parents had lost all faith in fact 60 odd children left the school the year before i got there which is you know, a huge number, it's two classes, it's a massive impact on your budget anyway, even if the school was in healthy shape financially. Um, and, it, and it was just really sad. So I embraced this whole social media thing and um, set up the Twitter account and started to just network and reach out. And again, opportunities presented themselves for people coming into school to talk to the children for different um, pedagogy, for different kind of resources, all of that sort of stuff happened and, and unfolded. And then it grew to a point where um, I don't know how many followers I had. I can't remember now, but quite a number anyway. And somebody in our community, an ex, I think it was an ex-employee with a link to our school, observed some of the things that I was questioning. And it was at the time during the pandemic where I was questioning the honesty and the integrity of some of our um, principal people in government who um, weren't perhaps upholding the kind of guidance that they were putting out there. And this person took umbrage and said, you shouldn't be doing that. Um, and nor should you link yourself to the school. These are your personal opinions and they shouldn't be linked to the school. And in fact, it was my own ignorance. I didn't realize that that, that was a thing. I was ignorant on that topic. So although it was painful, uh, this person was right. And I changed my Twitter handle. Um, I, I don't think I posted anything defamatory. Well, I, I know I didn't. And it certainly wasn't anything kind of inflammatory either it was just a personal observation on on people's integrity um but nevertheless I, I changed my twitter handle which hasn't affected anything to do with followership i don't think but again i don't really have the time to look at that but what i would say is that it has affected my thought process about it i never post anything that's that could be construed as being rude or um upsetting or mean but then that's that that's comes down to my intent not necessarily how it's received. And what it made me think is that it doesn't matter how well-intentioned what I put out there is, there may potentially always be somebody who receives it in a completely different way. So it did highlight to me some of the pitfalls, if you like, of social media. I've also been approached inappropriately on a, on a sexual level by people, which is again, a pitfall, I think of social media. I think people become far less inhibited and, and far more, predatory at times which needs careful uh you know consideration if you're if you're doing that and i know it's happened to other people so it's not just kind of me or anything um it's, it's actually sad that it's happened to other people i, I think because it's obviously a thing rather than just a one-off um 
But I think knowing about that and that awareness and the strength you gather from other people having that means that you can tackle it in a pragmatic way. I think I always look at social media posts like that, actually, in a pragmatic way. I'll think, hmm, I don't actually agree with that. I'm not going to engage. And I think if more people perhaps thought that way, <laughs> there'd be a lot less spats, public spats on there, <laughs> which is quite unfortunate when it happens because well-respected people end up um, getting quite vocal. And I wonder, again, if they would be as vocal if they were in, in real life or in person. And in any case, all I, I do is just always revert back to, is this something I'd like my nan to see me say? Or is this something that I really want my mum or my children to see me say? And if it's not really what I would say to my grandma or, or my children or my mum, it's probably not a thing that I would like to say in public. So I won't say it. And if I have said anything inadvertently rude, I will apologize quite publicly and say I'm sorry. I posted a public apology when that person accused me of upsetting all my so many thousands of followers. And I, and I said, I'm extremely sorry if, if any of this had been offensive. And in fact, what happened was the opposite. There was an outpouring of support saying, no, you're always very lovely, which was a relief. Thank, thank goodness, actually, because the last thing I would ever want to do is cause any upset. But I do think that those couple of stories that I've just told you there kind of highlight some of the pitfalls of social media but nevertheless I do think that the benefits far outweigh because after our Ofsted for example some recent things that have been really beneficial to others was that I think you guys are hosting it anyway on your on your platform that we shared um sort of the experience for the people so they could get prepared and also the school dog um i put out there that we're getting a school dog i've been inundated by people sort of saying how does this work how can we do this can you help and i've sent out hundreds of emails um to support people with that process uh and again i asked has anybody done this when it was when i was thinking about it so that exchange of information that collaboration breaking down some of that kind of marketplace um, behavior that perhaps might have established before the pandemic when everybody was vying for children because bums on seats equal pounds in the bank and so on and so forth but I think working together in collaboration is something that is is a real tangible bonus and benefit from uh, from social media if it's used well and if you're mentally robust enough to be able to handle it when it isn't and as you say that ability to connect with people that you that well outside your area um, and, you know, e even outside the country, um, um, instantly on a topic that you that you both have some interest in, like be it school dogs or whatever. And it isn't I have to know that person through that person or have been to this same thing or, you know, it really um, democratizes that kind of um, mm -hmm. networking and, and connection. But I think it's really interesting to hear, hear your experience there of, um, you know, uh, to what extent you associate yourself with with the school obviously as a school school leader sort of tweeting in a professional capacity and there are obviously um, various accounts where people prefer to remain anonymous and then feel like they can be kind of um, maybe a bit more challenging or more more personal and sort of separate themselves from from their school but you know and, and it, but as you say if you if you kind of um are connected in that way then you know some of what you're doing is more quote unquote I guess corporate um mm -hmm. than than um you know somebody who's just saying exactly what they think about I don't know call of duty or whatever um <laughs> that, that people are chatting about on Twitter that day um so yeah I think it is that's something for, for people um to think about and I know you know that a lot of people um quite nervous about about social media particularly with you know parents being able to see, you know and, and and all of these 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 kinds of things but I, I think what you're saying from your experience is you know that there there is so much potential good um if you're just a bit bit more wary of the things that that, that can go um a little bit awry. there is and uh, yeah there is and, and and i think it's a really it's sad in some ways it's sad but in other ways inevitable that this huge opportunity we have to sort of share our voices and, and be heard, but also hear others, means that not everyone will like what you have to say. And, and I think the art of politely disagreeing has also somewhat been kind of lost recently. I think there are so many people angry. I don't know whether it's the pandemic. I don't know whether it's this growing realization that perhaps we could do better in areas like equality, you know, diversity in terms of, um, yes, gender but also ethnicity as well and I and I think there are some huge things happening in the world about that and so naturally people's 
feelings and, and their, you know, their responses are going to be more visceral. But it's just a question of, I guess, trying to look to the intent. If you looked at my entire, or, you know, a week's or two weeks worth of my tweets, for example, you would see the kind of person who, who's tweeting. You'd kind of understand the person behind that. So if you want to pick out odd tweets where you think, oh, that's outrageous, you know, you've retweeted something about the government. I think, yeah, there's an awful lot to my Twitter feed that, that's there that shows me as a human. And part of the reason why I have been successful at my school is because the parents see me as another human being. I'm not this unreachable, distant, um, you know, never there person. I, I'm, I'm visible. I, you know, they know I'm passionate about our school. I'm passionate about all children, not just our school. I will help anyone. And I feel like there's kind of a moral obligation upon me as a local school leader to, to model all of that. You know, yes, there are times when I'm down. Yes, there are times when parenting is difficult. There are times when I'm very busy, when I'm up late, when I'm working hard. But, you know, if I can show that in those times and say to parents, I'm just like you. I have the same struggles you have. I understand. I empathize with you. If you have a problem, come to us and share that problem with us so we can work with you to, to you know, try to mitigate the impact of, on your children. I guess that's my motivation for being so uh you know open about everything um, i am an open book i wear my heart on my sleeve and that can have its benefits and its drawbacks in any case but as a leader i think you are vulnerable to being attacked and there are times when i do struggle which is when i turn to my governors who are brilliant because they see the passion that goes on behind they see the graft and the hours of work and the you know the looking at innovative ways to fix our school to make it better to make the environment better for everyone and the outside you know, Ofsted or the local authority, they, they see a very minimal view. So my governors are really invaluable to me because they, they embrace everything about my, my character. And they will say to me, you know, when I lose perspective sometimes, come on, pull yourself together. This is, this is one-off incident, which is what I need because that passion has to go somewhere. And if I feel like I've been attacked, whether it's fair, unfair, just, unjust, correct, what? If, if, you, if you're all the time... Um, you know advocating for children in your school you when you get knocked it can be quite a knock and, and that's I think where my governors are just um, irreplaceable they're just amazing human beings and, and I'm very really grateful to them for what they do well, that's fantastic to hear and I think it is interesting to sort of um, you know it's 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 human nature isn't it there's you know there's a there's a criticism and you kind of instantly forget all of the all of the praise and all of the good things and it's you know kind of keeping that the opinion the opinion of somebody who is completely unaware of of all the context and all of the history and the relationships you know we should you know we shouldn't value that as high as highly as we perhaps do but you know it, it, it's it's because it's it is that sort of patch of dark that um, you know, suddenly it, it, it can become quite, um, quite consuming um, for people and, and hard to lose, lose sight of that, that bigger picture. But yeah, it's really, in, it's really interesting to, to talk in a bit more, more detail about the, these kind of these, these really big, big kind of philosophical questions uh, behind something that, you know, more and more and more of us in our professional and social lives are are using and and often we we don't stop to um to really to really think about about what we're doing um and um just as we uh, as we sort of draw to um a close it'd be be interesting um to, to hear what your thoughts are on sort of future future changes that you might make at, at your school or or more broadly that that might come as a result of this pandemic period that we've been through well I think there are kind of the day-to-day -day small changes that I can make that I have got the agency to do which you know simple logistical things so staff meetings now can be conducted from home uh, where possible and people can can um, access um parents evenings from home now rather than these huge queues it, it is very much a sensible use of time things become more efficient so I do think embracing this kind of technological um, stride forward that we've all been forced to make is, is definitely great I mean even in terms of us training the school dog all of the senior leadership team attend the zoom training with the, with the dog trainer at, at the same time you would never get all of us in one room at one time to, with a dog 
so to do that is just like that's know, blown my mind like, <laughs> i know i know um but on a, on a grander scale genuinely i do think we need to rethink complete rethink about these um tests in primary education i do not think that i think we've proved that they're not beneficial that they are only for the government to judge schools on and i do think what schools ought to be judged on is what they give to the children not the output that that child creates because that output is dependent and highly dependent on so many different um, factors mainly to do with the child's home life which they spend the majority of their time by the way you know they're only in school 39 weeks in the year if they have, attend fully and even then five to six hours per day um, there are the weekends the evenings the holidays and so on where their lives are hugely influenced by other factors and yet schools are judged um, as if they weren't so I think, you know, rejecting some of this accountability and, and investing instead in, in the holistic child, in, in mental health, in things that really matter, um, will, will have such a huge long lasting uh, impact on children that we really ought to sort of galvanize ourselves now as a body of people to say, let's kind of do away with this ideology because it, it hasn't worked. It really hasn't worked. And, and the evidence is stark that it hasn't worked. So, yeah, I, I think hopefully that will happen. I'd like to be a part of that, really, that change movement. I am already a part of more than a score. Um, again, I think we need to think about children as more than just statistics and, and data units, to be honest with you. And, and that's for me to fight when Ofsted come in and, and argue uh, when I when I demonstrate real impact on children in terms of their well-being or, you know, the fact that they can now talk where they couldn't or you know, their independence or their confidence or all those things that are so valuable to real life. Um, I don't know. I think there's a lot more to children than just than data. It's not as if we don't test them ourselves anyway for, for where we can improve and enhance their learning. Why do we need to publish that information, make them feel like failures and, and then sort of damage a school's reputation on the back of it? Um, and again, I'm not saying schools shouldn't be held to account. Absolutely, they should. I just think this is the time now for us to readjust and, and rethink how that might work. Thank you. And uh, anything else you'd like to share with our listeners in closing? No, I don't think so. Just um, just a bravo to everyone who's managed to survive, whether it's governors or, or school, uh, you know, school teachers, school leaders, um, office staff, special needs. Cruise. I think we've all done an amazing job for the last 12 months and uh, and longer since before that but you know particularly for surviving through a pandemic well done everyone <laughs> well I'm so grateful to you Victoria for taking the time out of your incredibly busy schedule to uh talk to us today and and share so honestly um your own experiences and thank you very much for listening Key Voices is produced by The Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to act. Members of The Key for School Leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com. And please tell us what you think of the podcast. Rate, review and subscribe or email me at caroline.doherty at thekeysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions.